I'm going to introduce Barry for this morning's message. Pray well, for him so he doesn't cry like a baby. That's good. Oh, we're actually going to introduce Judy first. I'm sorry. Cause she's, it's a, so okay. come on over here. I'm always the last right. to know. That's okay. Yeah, I, thank you, Randy. Thank you for trying to introduce me. Um, this is Judy Gilbert, and actually Judy was up here because she's our team leader over our nursery and now toddler. And, uh, and I just wanted her to just share part of um, the reason she does what she does. Okay. Good morning. Um, in thinking about all this this week, I was reminded that 10 years ago this coming January will be when we first, our family, Keith, my husband and I, and our three kids came to the Vineyard Community Church. And we had been serving in another church, a small church that um, Keith and I were on the leadership team with that. And we had to close its doors. We prayed about it and felt like it was a time to close its doors. And we were burned out and exhausted, tired emotionally, physically. And our kids, other than John, our two daughters were tired of going to church too. And so I prayed for a church where my um, kids would feel connected, where they would just be happy and connected. And so God, when we came here, God fulfilled our, our prayers over and over again. Our very first um, child that we met when we took our son to children's uh, ministry was a boy that's named the same name as our son. It's Jonathan David, and he met Jonathan David Malloy that day. And immediately it was like, okay, this is a sign. So shortly after that, one of our daughters got scooped up by... Um, Sarah Gooder and Nancy Furness, and we pretty much never saw her again. And she still comes every week, but she just was, uh, you know, loved on by these girls. And then our older daughter just got so involved in the youth ministry and the youth group, excuse me, youth group and um, the youth pastor. She invited to um, back to Indianapolis to marry them a year ago. He lives out of town now, and she actually is so connected with him that she invited him to come back to um, perform their wedding ceremony last year. And she's now pregnant and is going to have a baby in February, and I will get to watch my grandchild in the nursery six months from then, if my son-in-law will let me. <laughs> so family is very important to me, and um, shortly after I got here, um, Marcia Keel got me in the nursery. She heard I love babies, and that's all it took. And I've been in the nursery since then. And one of the things that God's shown me in the nursery is that sometimes I get to be the very first, if not one of the first, if not uh, the very first person to actually pray over and minister to a child. And I take that responsibility very seriously. I think it's a privilege he's given me that I get to bless children. It's one of the first things I want to do when I first meet a baby is bless them, declare life over them, and just welcome them into the family of God. And I think it's a safe, you know, I want it to I want our nursery and our toddler room to be a safe place where children can come in and experience church, experience the family of God in a really wonderful way. And it breaks my heart when I have to send them back to their parents because they're not quite adjusting that morning, but that's okay because they need to be in their safe place. So 
Um, but I also rejoice and am so excited when we win a child over. And so that's really exciting. And so um, I'll leave you with this. The nursery in the toddler room over the past several months has been really lacking in others that want to come alongside me and the wonderful team that's already back there to help um, be family for these children. And so we have need for more people. We're always in need for children or for adults in our children's ministry, specifically in our babies and our toddler rooms. And so I'm just encouraging any of you that if you want to be a part of that, making a, a huge difference um, in these children's lives and be a safe place for them, um, come talk to me after service and, you know, just get your toes wet. Um, Beth Meyer is in there today, and she's never been in the nursery before, but she's going to just try it this morning because she thinks she'd like to. That doesn't mean she's going to be locked in for the next six years. This may be her only time. So if you're just thinking... Gosh, I, I don't know if I want to. Well, then that may be that, yeah, you should try it and, and come back, and, and I won't keep you there forever. Thank you so much. All right. Well, go ahead and hit that bumper music. You guys stand up, and we're getting ready to get to you and I'm kind of probably sitting there for a while. Um, Enter cricket, enter tumbleweed. Oh, uh, there you go. Okay. All right. What do you think we're going to talk about today? Oh, don't turn it down. Got my wedding moves on you, but I'll save you. Okay, on down. okay, thank you very much. Thank you, Sister Sledge. I've never met Sister Sledge. Has anybody ever been to a Sister Sledge concert? No Sister Sledge? I don't know. Awesome. Huh? Was it good? Like I have to ask. Hello. All right. Well, good morning. Uh, we're currently in a series focusing on individual and corporate disciplines that will hopefully help us move closer to God's original purpose. Now, Randy has been dis actually has been tasked with the individual disciplines that actually kind of get us closer and actually help us to live like Jesus lived so that we can live like Jesus lived and minister like Jesus ministered. Lori and I have been given the task of actually saying corporately, what is God's design for us all together, kind of as the church, the family of God? And so far we've talked about God longing for a house, actually a place to dwell, uh, which I talked about the first time I was up here, and then Lori did a magnificent job, give it up, when she talked about the church as a body. It was amazing. Best sermon I ever heard on that, ever. It was amazing. Um, so today we're actually going to talk about God's corporate purpose for church being a family. Okay? A family. Now, 
reminds me, uh, did you hear about the guy who was called into his doctor's office? Probably not, no. The doctor sat him down and said, I've got some good news and bad news. Which do you want first? Well, doc, give me the good news first. Okay, the doctor said, your tests are back and you only have three days to live. That's the good news? For heaven's sake, what's the bad news? Well, said the doctor, my receptionist has been trying to get a hold of you for two days. So I've got some good news and bad news for us this morning. The good news is that the church is like a family. Here's the bad news. The church is like a family. All right? So... You know, it's like, it makes me think when my kids were growing up, I was thinking about this, a lot of times we'd have guests over for dinner. And of course, as a dad, I would threaten my children. Say, don't do what you normally do at the table. It's like we have guests. We want to honor these people. We want to care for these people. We want these people to feel special. So, you know, there were always a few surprises along the way, but by and large, we were pretty good, and you know we cared for the people. Um, there was always something to be embarrassed about that our kids said or did, but by and large, that was a little different. Now, the next night, when it was just us having dinner as our own little family, it was a little different, a lot less formal. We could be very direct around the dinner table. Uh, we would also talk about things going on in our family that were impacting the rest of us, decisions individual family members made that were affecting the rest of us. Sometimes the conversations got a little heated. Uh, not, you know, a lot of times there was also a lot of joy and fun around the family table. But you know, I'm just here to tell you, uh, as the family pastor, if you're here, um, I am thankful to tell you that you're a part of a church family that is very much like any other messed up family. Okay, And so we've got our good points and our bad points, um, and you know, we just, give, just want to speak freedom over you. Now, ideally, family should be the place where we find love and nurture. We find refuge, safety, and security from an unsafe world. We find support and encouragement. And it's a place where we can be ourselves and still be accepted and loved. Now, since families aren't perfect because they're made up of imperfect people, uh, we've got some problems. And for most of us, uh, we think of family and, and our idea of family is pretty damaged or wounded. And we bring that woundedness to our own families, which in turn make those families less than ideal places for safety love, comfort, refuge, and security. As a pastor, I've done a ton of funerals and weddings, and one thing that happens with either a funeral or a wedding is I get an inside look into people's families, and I get to admire some of their strengths, but I always see uh, the things that are very clear, those places of woundedness and places of pain. Now, as we grow up, we formulate our perception of family from our own experiences. So as I'm kind of throwing this all out there, I know a lot of you have came from really 
great families, and maybe a lot of you have came from not-so-great families, and maybe some of you have came from families where you're just like, I don't even want to talk about that. Uh, I was actually uh, with one of my uh, groups where I was teaching on marriage, and we, uh, one of the things we do is actually look at family history dynamics, actually kind of what we bring to the table as we come into our relationship. And in that first session, I was kind of talking about Trish and I, our family experiences, and in that group of people, they said, we don't want to talk about our families. We want to forget about the families we came from. We're trying really, really hard not to repeat the same kind of thing that happened to us. And, of course, I directed those people and said, hey, um, totally understand that, but you've got to look at all of this stuff in order to hopefully get better along the way. Okay. Um, now, the Bible actually uses this, this metaphor, family, more than any other metaphor to try to describe what church is like or what God desires church to be like. Now, I'm thinking, God seldom ever asks my opinion on things, but I'm thinking, Lord, with all of the people that have had painful experiences with family, why do you use family? It's like, and he's like, because uh, I have an idea in mind, okay? Now, I love the image of the church being family, and I want to give you some scriptures, and I don't think our PowerPoint's working because I used uh, a newer version, and we have an older version, so I apologize for that. But I'm going to just kind of go rapid fire through a bunch of scriptures that kind of give you an idea of the church as a family. Galatians 4.19, Paul says, My little children, I travail. And I think it's funny where a guy's talking about having a baby. But spiritually, if you've ever worked with people, you're sometimes like going, Ah, you're killing me. Ah, come on, come on, you can do it. <laughs> My little children, I travail in birth for you until Christ be formed in you. I think all of us like parents, we're just like, just please live. Please stay out of the hospital long enough to live and have a life. All right. Galatians 6.10, Paul says, Let us do good unto all men, especially to those who are of the household or family of faith. 1 Corinthians 4.15, Paul tells the Corinthian believers that they have many tutors, but not many fathers. Though I'd say a lot of fathers are also tutors. Anyway, that's something you might want to think about later. Um, that joke really did not go anywhere, did it? No, never mind. Okay. Okay, he goes on to say, I gave birth to you, a family term, through the gospel. Now in Romans eight twenty-eight through 29, Paul sums up the divine purpose, saying that God's goal is to conform us to Christ so that Christ may become the firstborn among many brothers. Ephesians 2.19, we are fellow citizens of the saints and of God's household. In 1 Timothy 5.1-2, Paul tells Timothy to treat the older men as fathers, the younger men as brothers, the older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters in all purity. So that's, once again, the language and imagery of family. In 1 Timothy 3.15, Paul exhorts the believers that they should know how to conduct themselves in the family of God, the household of God. 
1 Peter 1.22 says, For you have been born again by the word of God. How do we get into the family of God? By birth, new birth, a family term. 1 Peter 2.2, Like newborn babies, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. In Hebrews 2, 10 through 11, we read that God's intention is to bring many sons unto glory and that Christ is not ashamed to call the church his brethren. One more, though I could go on for hours. 1 John 2, 12 through 14, John exhorts the children, the fathers, and the young men. Now, I believe one of the desires of God's heart is that we would live like family in the body of Christ. Act like family. And would literally become the family of God. Not some smooth, running, religious institution. Out of all the images of the church in the Bible, the one image that a lot of churches these days have actually embraced is the image of the church as kind of an institution um, a, a corporate institution, and the pastor is the CEO, and the, the staff are kind of like middle management, and the congregation, well, that makes you guys the clientele. You know? And actually our way of presenting the gospel, well, that's marketing. Ugh. I'm so thankful that that's not the case here. So if we ever do that kind of stuff, you can come kibosh us, okay, and say, this is not what it's about, you're a family though all of those things are helpful as we go along. Now, let's finish by looking at five implications of what it means to be family. Now, there are not slides for this. You're going to have to write these down. And what I want to do is look at these um, practical implications of what it means to be family and see how we're doing, uh, but also what we might need to do in order to do family better. Okay. Now, according to the Bible... And God's definition of family, family members take care of one another. Family members take care of each other. Because the church is a family, its members take care of one another. Now think about our natural family, assuming that it's a healthy family. Families take care of their own. Isn't it true that you take care of your blood? And they take care of you? If your mother, father, brother, sister, son, or daughter has a problem, do you say, sorry, don't bother me, call someone who cares? Or do you take care of them? A true family takes care of its own. James 2, 14 through 17. Oh, a right straw epistle, James says. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, this is the spiritual one, go, I wish you well. <laughs> Keep warm and well fed. Thank you, Yoda. I need a cheeseburger. <laughs> but does nothing about his physical needs. What good is he? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. So take care of each other. Okay? If you're not taking care of each other, if we're not taking care of each other, hello, we need to be family. Take care of each other. 
Okay? All right. You can pull out your pipe, put things in, and puff it along as you need to. All right? That's what they used to tell me once again. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. Like, you're telling me to smoke as a kid? I don't know. But I love the smell of Grandpa's pipe. I think that should be a renewsant fragrance. Grandpa's pipe. I'd plug that in all over my house. Okay, so take care of each other. All right, if we're not doing it, hello, let's do it. Number two, family members spend time together. Hey, depends on what age your kids are. No, but family members spend time together. Because the church is family, the members take time to know one another. That is, they spend time together outside of scheduled meetings. This is a scheduled meeting. Question, is this the only time of the week you see the people in the room? It's like, oh, I know the back of that head anywhere. (laughs) Sometimes you might see them at Kroger and you're like, hey, aren't you that person 14th row to the left? Oh my, is that the only time we see each other? Or, Or do we contact each other during the week? Are we sharing meals together? Consider the organic instincts of the Jerusalem church at work. The Bible says in Acts 2, 42 and 46, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. Every day. What did it say? Every day. It says, every day. They continued to meet together. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Have you ever had a meal with someone and you're like, I have such a glad and sincere heart when we eat together? I'm not sure what that looks like, but it's a wonderful thing. This was so much the case that 30 years later, the person who wrote Hebrews, and Randy, I am going to say it, every time, I think it was Paul, but it could have been anyone uh, that had an understanding of Jewish people, Every time I see the person who wrote Hebrews or the author of Hebrews, I always think about when Prince changed his name, the artist formerly known as Prince. I just always think about that. But <laughs> Hebrews 3.13, 30 years later, it was such a practice in the early church. 30 years later, here's what they said. Encourage one another daily. And also in Hebrews it says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves, as some are in the habit of doing, they've kind of gotten sick. What's great about that word, though, is I, I was always taught, well, you've got to go to church on Sunday, son, or you're going to get sick. Well, actually, the word there is epi synagogue, which actually means outside of the synagogue. That's when you need to be having meetings with one another so that you won't get sick spiritually. You can stay alive, Okay. Ah, sadly today, though, the only fellowship time that a lot of churches experience is whenever, you know, the pastor says, turn around and greet your neighbor. Hello, neighbor. (laughs) Okay, enough of that. Let's get serious. Let's do Sister Sledge or something. All right. So on Sunday mornings, a lot of times we kind of have this mentality. We just kind of clock in, clock out. Hey, hey, how's it going? How's it going? Yeah. And you, oh, yeah. Then we're out to the parking lot, and then we're on our way. And then it's like, see you next Sunday. Uh, 
we're missing out on so much. Okay, number three. These are going quick, people. So what have we learned so far? If, if we're family members, what do we do? Take care, Take care of each other. And what else do we do? And what's the third thing? Good. Yes. Show one another affection. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, that's good. And yeah, it's like, exactly. So that's good. Thank you so much. Family members show one another affection. All right. Because the church is a family, the members greet one another with affection. Hey, like John and Heather there. Hey, what up, sis? How you doing? All right, that's awesome. Now think about it. Um, when you see your mother or your father or your children or your relatives, do you go, hello, just kind of salute them? See, when I was growing up, all my family's from the South. You walk into a house, give me some sugar. Come over here and give me some sugar. I'm like, oh no, I know it's coming. Lips everywhere, kisses, lots of saliva exchanged, lots of hugs. Uh, my relatives are all from Kentucky, and they all enjoy tobacco in various forms. And a lot of times as I'm hugging and caring for my elderly extended family, there's a lot of ingestion of tobacco and snuff. And chewing tobacco and other things, but it's like it was all good. I lived through all of that. All right? Do you tell your children you love them? Do they tell you that they love you? Do they verbalize words of affection? I so much appreciate the way you've taken care of me. You know, you've been better to me than I deserve. Right? Well, if you're functioning as a healthy family, the answer is yes, 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 of course, Barry. Yes. It's the same way with the church, with our brothers and sisters, because we're, it's like Olive Garden. When you're here, it should be like family, yeah? 1 Corinthians 16.20. Anybody know what that verse is? Greet one another with what? A holy kiss. Paul said that five times. Five times. Pucker up and say hello. I tell you, I, I had such an experience when I moved to Ohio. And there, were, uh, there, there was a denomination there, um, the German Baptists. Anybody know the German Baptists? Okay. These were hardworking people. These were people who had hands. You know, the men were all farmers and they had leather hands and they were very strong, and they were very stern-looking, you know. Um, but you will know if there is a German Baptist in your midst, because they will kiss you on the lips all the time, every time they go to church. We had a guy, I didn't know who he was, he came to visit my church. He came up to me, and he first brought me in with a handshake, then he kissed me right on the lips. I was totally not expecting it. I was like, hello. How do you go back to just holding hands after that? I don't know. But what I found is there are people in Ohio that must be lacking a lot of affection. They get lots of kisses at church. At my church, I kind of said, okay. You'll probably not see me kissing on women. I'll be kissing on the men because I got used to that culture. You know, I've kind of been holding back since I've been here. Though, I have been known to sneak one in every now and then. 
so just you've been warned. <laughs> uh, sociologists have this branch called proxemics. You ever heard of proxemics? Proxemics deals with how we distance ourselves from other people. There are basically four laws in the field of proxemics. There's personal distance, intimate distance. Intimate distance is less than 12 inches. The idea is that you do not let anyone get that close to you without feeling extremely awkward unless that person is part of your family or an intimate person or a fiancé or someone that you know is a German Baptist. Okay. <laughs> Say that you're in an elevator and a stranger gets in your intimate space. Hello. What are you doing? What's your name? Oh my goodness, this is awkward. Now you're probably not going to like go crazy or have a throwdown or smackdown or anything, but very awkward, okay? Uh, well, you don't really make eye, eye contact when you're kind of there. You look away, you feel uneasy, hope they'll go away. Well, should we not allow, if we really are family, brothers and sisters, to enter our personal space? Should we not exchange hugs? Uh, I know some people who practice the holy kiss, as I've told you about. Uh, and I'm not pushing the holy kiss. Don't hear me saying that. But I'm just saying, can we just be a little more affectionate? Just speaking like, I love you. Um, point is, if we're going to live as the family of God, we will share our love with one another through affection. We'll be affectionate. You know, it's like... One of the things I know, I don't know a lot about human development, but I do know that little babies need help. You know, they, they, they won't thrive. You know, Judy could probably come up. And, but it's like, I think spiritually, we're not real good at hugging on spiritual babies. It's like, oh, we've got a discipleship course. Keep your distance, young man. Don't come in too close here. Don't be sharing all those feelings with me. It's like when you're done with the discipleship course, you've got some other classes for you to take. And what happened to Joe? He just doesn't come to church anymore. Well, I don't think anybody loved on him. He needs some hugs. Probably some, some of my relatives get him some sugar. I don't know. I mean, just speaking life and love. And, oh, we can, we can do that. That's a lot of fun. Uh, okay, num so what do we got so far? We, if we're really family, we take care of each other, we spend time together, we have show affection to one another, and also family members grow. It's totally cool uh, for our kids to grow up, be fruitful and multiply, go out and find your life spiritually. If we don't have room for you here, we want to bless you. You know, I love Randy's heart, and I love your heart as a church. It says, we want you to grow. You know, you, you may need to go some other places sometimes to grow beyond where we are. We release you. I remember when I was a little kid, my dad, from the earliest time I remember, he would put his arm around me. He said, Barry, me and your mom love you. Yeah? He said, but someday you're going to find a pretty little girl, and you're going to go off and make your own family. And you'll still love me and your mom, but you'll, you'll be gone. And you're, you're, the most important people are going to be that pretty little girl and your kids. I'm like, Dad, I'm five. Why are we having this conversation? I'm starting to get really nervous. 
But something that it did for me is it kind of let me know, it's like, this isn't going to last forever. And, and if we are together as a family and, and as we're growing, we just need to release each other. And it's like, you know, it tears our hearts apart when people leave, but sometimes they need to in order for them to go and do what God's called them to do. So we let them grow. So a healthy family, we also let people grow. Number five, we're going to stop with this one. Uh, yes, I love that. Good. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, no, not another point. Uh, because church is a family, each member has an assigned responsibility relating to another. And each member carries out his or her responsibility for the benefit of the family. If you look at a human family, everyone has a different role. You don't ask your children to go to work, unless you're in England 100 years ago, go work for me. And then, anyway. uh, you don't ask the parents to submit to the children. Everyone has their assigned role, the father, the mother, the children, the newborn. And everyone works together for the common good of the family. Well, it's the same way in the family of God. 1 John 2, 12 through 13, I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his namesake. I write unto you, fathers, because you have known him. I write unto you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you, little children, because you have known the Father. So spiritually, what I'm just really just saying to you, it's like, you don't, if, you're, um, if you're a spiritual father or mother, you don't need our permission to be a spiritual father and mother. Just do your task. You know, It's like if you're a young man, overcoming the evil one. It's like praying and having all kinds of victory. Wonderful. If you're a younger woman and you're like going, hey, like, like when um, Lori was talking about, you know, it's like the different people that helped her find out what it means to be a mom and how to raise kids. It's like find those older women. If you're a younger woman going, hey, I don't have to figure this out on my own. There's family. And so it just goes on and on. It's like, find your place. You know, be responsible. Be family. Take care of each other. Okay, we're not going to always know what all the needs are. Don't wait for someone else to do it. If you see it needs done, just do it. Okay? I remember at this other church, I was there, and I was kind of new, and I was mentoring some young men. And I said, well, just hang out with me on Sunday morning, and... Wednesday night when we have youth group, and, and they said, it seems like about all you do is set up chairs and table and tear down chairs and table. Don't we have people for that? They said, we are the people. <laughs> we are the people. And, and it's just that point of just saying, you know, it's like, be responsible. Just do your part, whatever that is. I'm going to close by reading kind of a a cool family quote. Actually, we're a part of a movement called The Vineyard that I think most of you know. And Phil Stroud, our, nat our national director, is really into just our movement. And actually says here, all in. You know, and it basically says, we want to be a church that has old people like me. And even older people, if there are such. You know, that, and, and then younger ones. And everyone in between just doing church together. Here's what Phil said. My experience of following Jesus has always been together with my family. We included our children in ministry from the time they were very little. When we were in Bible college, I remember taking my son and daughter with me to work in the streets. I would answer questions, and they would hear my responses to people. 
They have always been a part of what we were doing for the kingdom. We never used our children as a reason to pull back permission work or use them as an excuse to basically stop following the Lord. It's been just the opposite. They are the arrows of our quiver. Childhood is a time for kingdom training, not mainly a time for protection. Whoo! I put that in my pipe and smoke it. All right, Randy. I'm going to have Randy come and close and pray. Amen. Do whatever else amazing things he does. Give it up for Randy. Thank you. We love him. Amen.